0: Welcome to the You Gotten to Wear podcast. I'm your host, Joy Wade, author, college admissions coach, and founder of You Gotten to Wear. Every Monday, I bring you actionable interviews with college admissions experts and students who share their insight on college applications, essays, scholarships, financial aid, test prep, and more to help you get admitted into your top choice universities. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the You Got to Wear podcast. I am so excited that you are listening to today's episode. If you're a high school student who wants to learn the ins and outs of the college admissions process and eliminate the stress of learning everything on your own, you have to consider getting your free college admissions glossary guide from You Got to Wear. The College Admissions Glossary is a downloadable PDF that provides over 50 college admissions and financial aid related terms and definitions for students. The college application process is overwhelming and the glossary will eliminate hours of research and confusion while filling out applications for admission, scholarships, and financial aid. You can download the free guide at glossary.yougottentoware.com. That's glossary.yougottentoware.com. Let's get straight into today's episode. Today I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Lynette Calfani-Cox, aka The Money Coach. In today's episode, we discuss how her daughter received merit scholarships like NYU's MLK Full Ride Scholarship, how to win university awarded scholarships, how to stand out as a scholarship applicant, hidden college costs to look out for why picking the right major and campus environment is more important than the specific college you select, and strategies to cut college expenses like tuition, room and board, and books. Lynette Calfani Cox, The Money Coach, is a personal finance expert, television, and radio personality, and the author of 12 books, including College Secrets, How to Save Money, Cut College Costs, and Graduate Debt-Free. Lynette is a former financial news journalist who now teaches individuals nationwide how to better manage their finances. She has appeared on hundreds of TV programs, including Oprah, I could just stop the list right there, (laughs) The Talk, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, The Steve Harvey Show, The Today Show, and more. Lynette earned her Bachelor of Arts degree in English from the University of California, Irvine, she also holds a Master of Arts degree in broadcast journalism from the University of Southern California. I love USC people. Um, so today we're gonna get started. Thank you so much, Lynette, for coming on to the podcast today.
1: It's my pleasure. I was looking forward to this topic. It's such an important one.
0: Yes, and shout out to USC alum. I'm currently here in my junior year, so that's exciting.
1: Go, Trojans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so today we're just going to be really diving into a really important podcast. All the time, students want help with finding scholarships, getting extra money in the process seems kind of foreign. I remember being kind of confused on how students were getting scholarships. My parents really didn't know because I was first generation, so a lot of research had to go into that. So I read about you helping your daughter um, receive over $500,000 in scholarship offers from different universities. So could you tell me a brief synopsis of your journey with her and how she got those scholarships?
1: Sure my daughter is currently a senior at the university of Texas at Austin. She's actually going to be graduating early uh, in December. So one semester early. And in fact, she won well over $750,000 worth of scholarships, not 500,000, but who's counting. (laughs) Um, But, um, I can definitely say that she was a standout student. So, um, People sometimes mistakenly think that oh, it's only the A student, or it's only the you know uh, athlete on the on the field or on the court, or it's only the person who's you know practically cured cancer. <laughs> it's only those students who are going to win scholarships. And even though my daughter was um, an academic standout and had a ton of extracurriculars and community service and all this other good stuff. Um, I can honestly say that the breadth of scholarships that she won and the types of scholarships that she won really did make it clear to me that it's about a whole host of things that scholarship committees are looking for. Um, Grades help, but they're really truly only one piece of the puzzle. So um, in her case, for instance, She was a theater girl who um, loved uh, performing arts and um, that helped her in some regards. She was a person who loved and still does love uh, multiculturalism and um, diversity. Um, And so she started a, a multicultural club on her school campus in high school. She was the president of the French club. Um, and uh, those kinds of activities helped her to get for example the the MLK scholarship the Martin Luther King scholarship from uh, NYU um, which I don't know would have been you know well over fifty thousand dollars a year Um, but she did a lot of things right Um, she was aggressive in the scholarship hunt Um, she did not put off doing it until the last minute Uh, she focused on those where she was more likely to be competitive. And she also went after uh, institutional aid, um, primarily, um, and not exclusively focused on third party independent uh, sources of aid, although she won some of those as well. So it was really kind of a combination approach, and it was definitely heavy on the research side. Uh, But ultimately, I think that students should know that it's about packaging who you are and showing what makes you unique, and I know sometimes when you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, you think, oh my gosh, what do I have that's really, you know, totally me and not, you know, reflected in everybody else's application. But trust me, the more that you can, um, just show even your quirks or the the, the funny side of you or um, stuff that only you would be able to talk about, it's it's really helpful. Um, you know, case in point in one of her essays, my daughter wrote about how she likes to do accents. And so she would do like British accents and a Cogni accent and accents from the South and, you know, all these different accents, but it was just something she did to kind of make people laugh and, uh, but that she was actually pretty good at. And so, you know, the, the little quirky offbeat stuff can, can actually work for you as well
0: great so that was actually very powerful that um just that anecdote there's so many different tips that i want to kind of break down for our audience so first let's just talk about You mentioned institutional aid, you mentioned um, third party. Let's just kind of go over what these things mean. So can you talk about what institutional versus third party versus merit um, versus all of those things? There's a lot of different terms that students might not know if they're new to the scholarship game.
1: Right. So institutional money refers to the funds that come directly from the college or university of your choice. So if you're going to either a public or a private school and that institution awards you a direct scholarship, that's deemed to be institutional aid. Outside or third party sources of funding include money that you might get from a local community organization, money from a, a nonprofit group, from a corporate source, um, maybe your parents' employer, etc. cetera, And again, all of those are deemed to be third-party sources of funding. And most students don't know this, but the vast majority of scholarship dollars that the overwhelming majority of students receive is actually institutional aid. It's right from the school that you attend. So it's really, really super important that you choose the right college in terms of fit, because when you find that perfect kind of fit for you, the right academic, social, and financial fit, that school is going to be more inclined to throw money your way. So for example, if you're looking at a school that's the right academic fit for you, you ideally wanna make sure that you're in the top 25% of that school's applicant pool when it comes to test scores and grades and things of that nature. Um, Certainly you want to be in the top half, but it's even better to be in the top 25%. Then that makes it more likely that you'll get institutional aid and merit based aid in in particular. Um, If you're not in the top half of a school's um, academic profile, if you're say, you know, dead in the middle, it doesn't mean that you won't get money, um, but it just means that your chances are somewhat diminished and that that's not a a sort of spot on perfect fit for you. So choosing the right institution in and of itself is part of the scholarship search because it really does play a crucial role in how much money you'll, you'll wind up getting students who are in say you know the top 10 percent of a of a school's uh, applicant pool you're gonna find they they will throw the money at you so you might um, broaden your search as you look for schools because most high school students have a tendency to go for the brand name schools the big campuses the elite institutions those schools that they've already heard of and that they know and would be you know super proud to put the school's uh, name on their sweatshirt and, and all that kind of thing. But if you really take the time to research schools that are just as good, because we really do have over 2,500 colleges and universities in this um, country, in the, in the nonprofit space and at the four year level, um, you'll find that there's a wealth of uh, academic opportunities out there. And they're not just all grouped in, say, the top 50 or top 100 schools you know, with those name brands, those Ivy League schools, et cetera, the the, the names that we all know.
0: Right, so thank you so much for breaking that down. So guys, really, there's a lot of different factors that go into this. It might not just be your grades, it might not just be your test scores, but just because those aren't the deciding factors, you always wanna just make sure you're doing the biggest amount of work in high school to make sure those things might not be things that factor you out. So spend time, you know, getting your academics high, being um, involved in school, because all of those things are just a part of the recipe. And Joy, if I could make another
1: point for your listeners, I think this will help them to better understand what they should be doing right now while they're in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, It dovetails a little bit into, I'm sure a topic we're going to talk about a little bit, financial aid. But in general, it ties into the scholarship question because... Again, schools might give you direct aid in the form of scholarships or grants. But in general, the key thing to know is that when you're considering the type of aid that you might get from a school or from other sources, there are two different forms of aid. There is need-based aid and then there's merit-based aid. So need-based aid is always going to be tied specifically to your family's economic circumstances. So they'll look at your income, your assets. And since you're a student, you probably don't have any income or any assets. So they're gonna be looking, of course, at your parents um, or your guardian's income and assets. Um, Some private schools might look at things like, are your parents homeowners or do they have home equity? So in other words, very much driven by the numbers on paper, how much savings uh, your parents have, that kind of thing. All of that will combined to determine your need-based aid and the award that you get, it'll, all of that will get tied into your EFC, which is your expected family contribution. That's a number that's derived from all of those data points about your household um, income assets, et cetera. And that's, that'll be uh, calculated once you fill out the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. But outside of need-based aid, there is also a category called merit-based aid. And merit-based aid ties very much into the scholarships question because merit-based aid is money that a student gets that's based on one of four things, academic accomplishment, artistic accomplishment, athletic accomplishment, or things like community service and volunteer work. So again, I said at the top of the podcast that you don't have to be, you know, the A-plus student (laughs) and, you know, with the super high grades and test scores or or maybe the athlete uh, on the field who's the team captain. Anybody can be a do-gooder. Anybody can perform community service. Anybody can make an impact in their local community. So any student is a viable candidate for potentially getting scholarships, grants, again, free money, and those merit-based awards that are really very much tied to how involved a student you are and how engaged you are outside of the classroom. So again, merit-based aid is going to be tied to athletic accomplishment, artistic or academic prowess, but also the level of engagement and civic activity you show in the form of volunteer work, community service, uh, et cetera. So I mentioned that my daughter, who's uh, now a senior at UT Austin, was in fact uh, a very high performing student. And she was, she was an A student. She had, a, a, I think a 2230 SAT score. She was a national merit scholar, uh, um, You know, having performed very well on that test as well in her 11th grade year. So she had a lot of things going for her academically, but she also had an incredibly high amount of community service and volunteer work in our community. As I mentioned, she started a club. Um, she had outside interests, um, including language studies and drama, etc. cetera. So it was the totality of her um, package, if you will, that made her very attractive to uh, scholarship committees and ultimately to to seven campuses that you know admitted her and and threw up a boatload of scholarship dollars her way.
0: Great. So, thank you for breaking down the difference between need-based and merit-based. I wanted to dive into kind of just explaining how the institutional aid works. So institutional aid is usually based on a merit or sometimes it's a combination of merit and need depending on the university. But since um, both your um, daughter and I both had experience with the um, NYU MLK scholarship, I kind of wanted us to kind of share both of our experiences with that scholarship and kind of how the process works. So I'm just going to start to kind of say a small anecdote and we can see what you agree on, what you what was different with your daughter, um, and kind of just give people a sense of who's getting these scholarships. I wanted to preface on this conversation by saying just because it's the MLK scholarship does not mean it's just going to African-American students. Um, I feel like I get a lot of questions about that. People are like oh I'm not black so how am I gonna get the, the MLK scholarship. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of context when I was awarded the scholarship they chose um, 30 students from around the country and the students that were chosen were just as diverse as NYU is as a school, NYU is extremely diverse. So it wasn't just black kids that got the MLK scholarship. So don't be deterred. But also another point is there's no separate application for the MLK scholarship. Your NYU um, common app serves as your application to any um, aid or merit scholarship opportunities there. So that was something I didn't know. I did not know that the MLK scholarship existed until I heard back from NYU. So that's my note on the MLK scholarship. Would you like to add anything about um, the process of getting these institutional scholarships?
1: Sure. Well, first to start with the MLK scholarship, we had a similar experience because Uh, My daughter, her name is Aziza, she applied to to NYU. And to be very, very candid, (laughs) to be very frank, I was floored because we had heard so much about how, quote unquote, stingy (laughs) NYU could be (laughs) in in terms of awarding scholarships. And indeed, um, for my book, for College Secrets, I'd interviewed one mom whose daughter also won, uh, not the MLK scholarship, but, but another uh, very healthy, you know, almost full tuition, uh, or in fact, it was a full tuition uh, scholarship. Um, and she was telling me how floored she was and because she had done all this research as well and was super happy that her daughter and her daughter did end up going to, to NYU. but we had the same experience in the sense that we were like, Oh, this is a great scholarship that exists. And, 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 and yes, this is like 50 something thousand dollars a year. Um, and it, it, it definitely put NYU, you know, way up there in the running. Um, she only applied to schools that she, uh, you know, really wanted to attend and that she gave very high consideration, um, and had strong interest in, um, so, but, This scholarship, like many other uh, scholarships of its kind, really is awarded to to students who kind of reflect the values of Dr. King. So it's not about, as you mentioned, race or your ethnic background. Um, It's really tailored towards students whose um, commitment to diversity and inclusion and justice um, and leadership and community service those are the students um, that NYU selects and who deem you know who the the committee there deems having already displayed the values and so to the extent that you can convey those type of values in your application in your essays, et cetera, um, you may be eligible for other types of awards, even if you don't know to specifically apply for something. Another case in point was uh, happened at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, my daughter was accepted there as well, and we were super thrilled. But the way that we actually first found out that she was admitted—um, oh, sorry about that. I, you want me to pick that up because I had a little background noise here.
0: Yeah, you can um start off where you said the way we found out. Okay.
1: The way that we found out initially that she was admitted to uh, UNC Chapel Hill is that she got a notice that the admissions committee had nominated her for the Moorhead Kane Scholarship. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Moorhead Kane Scholarship, but um by far in a way, <laughs> this one uh is probably the most prestigious undergraduate scholarship I've ever uh, heard of. Um, It not only gives you a completely full ride in terms of four years, tuition fees, room and board, books and supplies, it also um, provides a stipend to the students. It gives them uh, internship opportunities. And furthermore, uh, for four years, for every semester, the uh, award gives students the ability to do anything in the world that they want to do, and the scholarship funds it. So if you want to go you know, help with clean water in Ghana, or if you want to go study a Slavic language, um, if you want to um, you know, help hurricane victims in Southeast Asia, they will send you for the summer and uh, you don't have to worry about the financial costs because you're taking care of for those four years.
0: Wow. I want that scholarship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry about that. I thought my phone was off. Let me, so the Moorhead Kane scholarship is only at two institutions in the country. UNC Chapel Hill, And Duke and it was originally founded by uh, a couple whose sons each went to those two schools one went to Duke and one went to uh, University of North Carolina and so the family was super appreciative of the world-class education their sons had received and all of the the value that they would gotten out of attending those two you know very prestigious schools and wanted to essentially give back. And, and that's what started those two awards, but it's one of the premier uh, undergraduate scholarships um, that I definitely would encourage uh, your audience to uh, look into um, if they're so inclined to, to choose a major or to, to look at either one of those schools. Again, i never heard of the scholarship and my daughter was nominated by the admissions committee um, and Typically, a high school will nominate a student, and her high school did not nominate her. We had, again, never even heard of it, but her application, her package, so impressed the admissions committee that they nominated her. You know I was crying, right? (laughs) So um, (laughs) ultimately, she was a finalist for that award. She did not win it. Um, but again just to be nominated was just such a huge uh, vote of confidence in her and really a a blessing and so now it's something that you know just even in terms of trying to pay it forward i tell students about all the time
0: wow yeah i never had heard of that one um that's crazy um apply to duke and unc now (laughs) no um but yeah that's crazy these institutional scholarships usually the way they work, just to break it down. A lot of the time, um, there's not a separate application that students will fill out. So your college admissions application will serve as your application to any scholarship opportunity. Some schools still have separate applications, but of recent, a lot of schools have just been eliminating second applications and saying your Common app or your college app whichever um, platform it's on is just going to serve as um, Your application for all money and so after you submit your Common app or any application um, You're getting reviewed for admission and you're also getting reviewed for money opportunities So if you're applying before any scholarship deadlines or financial aid deadlines Then you're eligible for any of these scholarships. So usually you apply fall in your senior year and before that April 1st um, day where they most schools announce, um, they're actually reaching out to students before that date and telling them that they got in and they got scholarships. And some schools even go as far as paying for students to come to visit their school that they're offering scholarships. NYU did that, um, USC um, paid for partial and um, University of Miami, they didn't pay but they offered um, offered, um, you know, um, activities on campus. So depending on the school, different things might happen if you get offered a scholarship. Sometimes you have to interview. In, in NYU's case, there was no interview. You just had to show up on campus. But there's a lot of different things that happened per school. But I didn't know that this happened when I applied to college. So I think just, just knowing that this is an opportunity can just put you ahead of the game even more.
1: And Joy, just to piggyback on two of the uh, tips that you just offered one regarding the uh, Increasing prevalence of schools having one application as opposed to you know a separate application for scholarships and then two, um, Getting free visits to college. Um, I talk about these in my course uh, online at moneycoachuniversity.com where I have a, a, a course on winning college scholarships but the two um, points I wanted to add there were, if you're a high school student and you are doing the typical college application thing, you're probably applying to like 10 or more schools. And I actually think that's a big mistake. Um, I think that most high school students would be much better served narrowing their list of colleges and kind of keeping it in about the seven or eight school range. And this is, for, this is true for a number of reasons. Um, first, you're only gonna go to one school. <laughs> you're gonna make that decision in the end and you're, gonna, you're only gonna pick one school. But mainly it's because of the phenomena that you just described of so many schools looking at that application and deciding on the base of your essays and what's presented in the application itself, who to give their institutional awards to. And what happens when students start applying to 12, 15, 16 colleges, and I've I've seen this uh, on the rise, especially with obviously the advent of the, of the Common App and increasing you know, digital technology that makes it easier to, to apply to multiple schools. Um, with that type of sort of scattershot approach to applying to schools or applying to so many schools it really takes away from the time and care and attention that you can give to a select number of schools. So what I tried to do with my uh, two older children, and my daughter is a senior in college and my son is a freshman in college at uh, North Carolina State University in Raleigh, I really tried to get them to tailor their list of prospective colleges and not just willy-nilly apply to so many because I ultimately knew it was gonna boil down to those essays and the things that they would take their time with and uh, reflect on in order to make their applications really shine and stand out. If you're doing like 15 different schools and and all of that and each school has their own uh, supplemental essays, even if it's not specifically for college uh, for college uh, scholarships that is very taxing and so I really do think it's far better to have your list of a couple reach schools two, three at most three or four target schools those that are just right on the money for you in terms of academic social and financial fit and then two or three safeties at most three at most and so, when you do that, it really makes you a lot more focused um, on the essays and on the content side in terms of what you have to put into doing your college applications. The other point I wanted to make was, um, what was the second thing I brought up? I forgot what I was going to go with, that, but i was going to tell you, I was gonna, uh, I was I was talking about not just the two separate things, but about
0: um, you had brought up
1: another another topic oh
0: yeah you said um the fly-ins
1: ah yes oh my god how could I forget okay yes so there's this whole world of <laughs> aid that comes to high school students that again nine out of ten of them don't know anything about and certainly neither do their parents and it is regarding college visits. And the holy grail of college visits is something called the fly-in visit. That's the free, all expense paid visit to the college or university of your choice. And so um, interestingly, um, many fly-in visits are done for diversity purposes. So schools that are trying to recruit more first-generation low to moderate income, minority students, females in underrepresented categories, or simply students whose values, perspectives, and uh, viewpoints um, make for a more well-rounded campus uh, community. All of those students are ripe uh, candidates and uh, really good uh, prospects in terms of getting a free all expense paid to a school or university, uh, college or university. So my daughter did in fact have fly-in visits. Um, So UT Austin, as a matter of fact, flew her out there from New Jersey to Texas, um, and uh, others as well. Uh, Emory University uh, in Atlanta, uh, where she was also accepted, uh, gave her a free fly-in visit. And so, part of what you need to know about getting these free-flying visits are that sometimes on this front the application for those programs is kind of like a mini uh admissions application and so it's something that you need to take seriously because schools are spending a lot of money to recruit at that level when they're taking the time to put you on a plane to pay for your train or bus ticket, to put you up um, over the night, you know, or for a weekend, et cetera, they're investing considerable resources and they want, they're really only gonna do that for students that they're serious about, you know, admitting or potentially admitting. So um, do a Google search, um, certainly on on my website as well, on askthemoneycoach.com and on Money Coach University, I talk about fly-in visits and how to get free paid visits. Because I spent thousands of dollars (laughs) taking my daughter all around um, and ditto for my son. But certainly when I first learned about free flying visits was when Aziza um, was uh, offered the opportunity to go to to Texas, all expense paid. And of course that saved me some dollars and so I was happy about that.
0: Right, yeah, I don't think I did any fly-ins before um, I applied to any schools. I think most of mine came after I got those um, scholarship offers. Yeah, so I didn't, I think I knew that those there were opportunities, but I think the schools I was applying to didn't offer as many as I was seeing um, other schools. So it definitely it comes with research. Research, what's, what one school might do might not happen at a different school. So, and don't just apply to a school because they're going to fly you across the country, um, yeah. So I wanted to um, kind of talk about smaller scholarships. I know we spend a lot of time on institutional scholarships. Both are, I'd say, depending on the student, it could be equally as hard to get either one. Me, for example, I applied to dozens of local scholarships, small scholarships, and I didn't get any offers. Meanwhile, I received a lot of institutional aid. I know some people who get both. I know some people who get none so let's talk about the smaller scholarships what what are some quick tips maybe three pieces of advice for you know those essays um the requirements and where you should be looking
1: so i tell students to build a profile in order to best match themselves to scholarship opportunities you can certainly get online and do this with um websites and apps like scholarly or FastWeb or scholarships.com, but you should also build your own profile that you keep handy based on your own um, academic background, your interests, your family ties, um, and other personal things about you. For example, when my daughter built hers and when my son built his, they had things like okay, I'm a resident of New Jersey, specifically of Union County, and even further for Mountainside, New Jersey. Well, why would that be relevant? Well, it's relevant because we needed to search whether or not there were any Union County scholarships, because only Union County students can apply for that. So that narrows the field. And then even further for our small town of Mountainside, population 7,000, <laughs> only a set number of, of uh, people here are high school seniors who would mm-hmm. be applying for scholarships. And indeed, as it turns out, um, uh, a foundation, the Elks Club here in uh, Mountainside, New Jersey, awarded my daughter uh, a $500 scholarship. So, um, and again, uh, great to, to you know get those kind of opportunities, but you'll only tap into that if you kind of drill down and think about things that are, uh, unique for you or that are uh, descriptive or that reflect something that's in your own family background. Here's another um, one talking about quote-unquote smaller ones and uh, other ways to, to find them. The reason I suggest students also look at their family ties is that a lot of organizations will offer scholarship money to students based on um some affiliation that the company or organization has with a student's relative so um, my daughter for example had a, a scholarship that she earned from a from an insurance company that uh her grandmother her dad's mom um was a policy holder for so Now, who would, I mean, her grandmother is a retiree, you know, she's in her 70s. And, but we found out about this scholarship just by making this little chart and saying, okay, who has what affiliations? Do you belong to any, and not you, the student, the parents or grandparents, or even sometimes siblings? Do you have any professional affiliations? Do you belong to any civic or business uh, groups? Locally statewide or nationally because again those ties if you look online and search for those They'll often say things like oh does your child grandchild a relative. Is that person in school here? Here's a scholarship opportunity for them So it's something that people wouldn't uh, necessarily think about right off the top of their head But it's a great way to find those quote-unquote hidden or or, a little more obscure scholarship opportunities.
0: Great. And so for those smaller scholarships, could you explain to students um, how they actually get that money to their school? Um, Yeah. Sure.
1: Um, Typically, many uh, scholars, it it really varies, but many scholarship uh, awards will be paid either directly to the student or they'll send the check directly to the uh, campus and then the school or institution will credit the students tuition and bill um, for that award but but often it'll really just come to you and in her and uh, the those two that I mentioned the insurance scholarship and the scholarship through the uh, elk Foundation um, my daughter received the scholarship money directly and then she had to notify uh, the campus that she had in fact, um, one that outside scholarship uh, money
0: okay, thanks because I know that's sometimes confusing. They're like, am I getting the check directly? Um, and like sometimes you it goes straight to your tuition. <laughs> you're not gonna see the check. Um, all right, so this has been great. I wanted to close out with kind of some financial tips for once students get to college because sometimes. Most of the time, everything isn't gonna be covered. Even if you get full tuition, there's still room and board, there's living expenses. So could you just close us out with some advice for once you get to college, um, what can you do to um, cut some expenses?
1: There are tons of things you can do to lower college costs once you get to college. Um, First off, one of my favorite words in college, is waiver. <laughs> and you should always be thinking about or asking and inquiring about whether there's a waiver for something. Um, that starts when you're in high school and you have to take all those um, tests for um, the SAT or the ACT, or you have to fill out um, costly college applications. There are, in fact, waivers for those. As well as um, once you're in school and you have to pay you know, a hefty tuition bill, there are things called, for example, out of state tuition waivers. And in fact, my daughter got an out of state tuition waiver from UT Austin um, because we all know that if you're going to go out of state, the premium, the extra money that you're charged, is typically two, three, or maybe as much as four times what in-state residents pay. So an out-of-state tuition waiver is something to ask for. We specifically sought out, when we were looking at public schools, this doesn't apply to private schools because private schools charge the same tuition to all students, whether they're residents or non-residents. But for public schools, we specifically sought out um, campuses like UT Austin, which at the time we knew, would in fact grant an out-of-state tuition waiver and she did get that. So waivers is, are, are one thing. Um, you can also do things like lower your cost of books and supplies, um, which you know can be a pretty penny, uh, 12, $1, 13, $1,500 or so on average for, for college freshmen. You can cut those costs um, in a number of ways. You can rent uh, college textbooks you can get uh, open source or open uh, architecture course books would basically just mean free um, books. Um, you can rent textbooks or you can do one of my favorite tricks, which is to get what's called the international version of a college textbook. Um, very simply and easily um, average college textbook might cost hundred dollars or more but when you buy the international version of a book, you're gonna pay 70% less. So that $100 book is gonna cost you only $30. There's a website called Books, V-A-L-O-R-E books.com, and you can find the international version of a college textbook there. The only difference between the traditional um, hardback Um, textbook that you get versus an international version of a book is that the international version will typically be a paperback as opposed to a hardback and the regular textbook will typically have some color in it for illustrations or diagrams and and some things of that nature but international books are typically all in black and white so if you don't need to see color and all that it really doesn't matter go ahead and save yourself some money on the housing front please don't make the mistake of trying to live by yourself. Every college freshman also for academic purposes, social purposes, et cetera, but definitely for financial purposes should always live with a roommate. So living in a two person dorm or even a triple or a quad, if you can tolerate it, (laughs) sorry, I know you might feel like, Oh my God, I'm getting rid of my little brother or sister. (laughs) I'm gonna gonna finally have my own room. No, not yet. (laughs) So, um, that will definitely lower your housing costs. Um, and then once you go beyond freshman year, you, you know, you can apply to be an RA, a resident advisor, um, or you can um, volunteer to be a tour guide. Um, and some schools will let those students um, have free housing or discounted housing. But there's tons and tons of strategies. Um, I talk about, um, you know, li- literally a whole book full of them um, in College Secrets, um, the, the the book you mentioned, um, as well as College Secrets for Teens, which is the, the companion book um, in that College Secrets series.
0: Awesome. So we're about to close out the podcast. I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about the resources that you offer. I know we've been talking about them throughout the podcast, like your books and um, Money Coach University, but I just wanna give you a chance to um, talk a little bit about that so my audience knows where to find you and where they can get those great things.
1: Sure, so I'm on social media. Everything is pretty much at The Money Coach or Lynette Calfani Cox. Um, So on Twitter, on Facebook, I have a YouTube channel just got on Instagram. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, But uh, one of the best ways is certainly through Money Coach University. That's my online learning platform where I have uh, video courses. It's basically me coaching. There are free courses as well as paid ones. Um, The ones, and it's everything from budgeting, which is a skill you'll need to learn um, once you get out on your own, Um, not just in the real world after graduation, but certainly when you're uh, living apart from mom and dad for the first time and you're on on campus, um, to, as I mentioned, that course on uh, winning college scholarships. Uh, The two books that are definitely most relevant for your audience are uh, College Secrets, um, How to Save Money, Cut College Costs, and Graduate Debt-Free, and the Companion, that's for 12th graders college students and their parents and then the companion book in that series is called college secrets for teens money-saving ideas for the pre-college years and that's for 7th graders through 12th graders and their parents ton of great resources out there not just mine though um you know get into the library i always tell people you know that library card you have is one of the very best tools um in addition to that you know, supercomputer in your pocket, also known as a smartphone, because you can research and get a lot of free information and tools um, online um, that can uh, teach you and help you as well.
0: Awesome. This has been a great podcast. I hope that this was beneficial to you all. Thank you so much, Lynette, for being on the You Got Into Wear podcast, and I wish you the best. Thank you. Same to you and your audience. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you found value in this podcast, make sure you share it with a friend and leave a review because reviews will help this podcast be discovered by other students and families that are looking to get into college. If you're interested in finding the show notes with links and free resources, go to yougotntoware.com podcast.